Yeah, so, we can get uh, we can get started then. Let's yeah. just do a quick uh, introduction, uh, just for the Thor Chain weekly live update. Thanks for joining. Uh, I'm Familiar Cow. This is not this is not Thor Chain. Just Familiar Cow. I have to host on this account because that's how uh, spaces work on on iPhones. So, hey everybody. And uh, I'm Chad Thoreau. I I help out with hosting these spaces and. A uh, bunch of other spaces too, kind of in the Thorchain ecosystem, just trying to spread the word and help where I can and um, making education for ThorSwap too, but mostly just member of the community and big fan of Thorchain. And I'm uh, Chad Barrafort. I'm one of the uh, core devs in the project. Uh, and I like to kind of talk about the project and advocate for it, educate on it, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so the purpose of this show is basically to get um, – user feedback from uh you know from community members and get uh, updates from the core devs being chad barford uh you know mostly along with the nine realms team uh, that sometimes comes on uh we do this every friday just around the same time although we we might switch it up just that way and i know there's a lot of people overseas so if you have suggestions on um you know uh, time like time considerations and things like that make sure you uh let us know so that way it, you know your voice can be heard and it can be considered but these recordings are always available immediately afterwards on twitter you just click the uh you just click the button for the space and the recording should be right there and it's also uploaded to Rune base afterwards Click. sweet so uh yeah let, let's hear what's going on this week in Thorchain. so there was another um there are more nodes being added to the network and that that gave way to a third uh asgard vault so uh would we we just charted into a second as Asgard vault not that long ago. So would you be able to explain the significance of uh, you know what an Asgard vault is and why uh, the sharding is significant? Yeah. So the network um, originally in, in single chain chaos not, chaos net the network would only allow a single Asgard, and so because of that the network limited the total number of validators on the network. I think it was set to like thirty six or something like this. And the reason why that was because such what signatures the way that functions is the more people more members of that party in a sense that that combine together to create a signature to send out some bitcoin or, or something like this the quadra uh, the slower the network gets in a quadratic fashion right the slower the not so much the network excuse me but the signing process the sign, signing becomes slower and slower and slower and so um in multi-chain one of the, the improvements made between single chain and multi-chain was that the idea that the network could have several asgards with no upper limit on how many could exist and so uh, when we went to from, you know, 39 nodes to 40 nodes and validator nodes, we split the Asgards into two vaults. So every 40 validators we basically add to the network, now we're at 81, we, uh, we add a, another uh, Asgard, once you're beyond uh, the maximum uh, number. So uh, we shelled into our, our third Asgard. And likely the network will probably pause adding new new validators at either 100 validators or 120 validators. I'm not, right now it's set to 100. It might change to 120 depending upon how the community feels about that. Uh, and so that will basically lock us into having three Asgard vaults, which will probably be the, what it's going to be for the foreseeable future. And we can go above 120 if we wanted to. If we wanted to go to 150 or 180 or, or 250, that's... There's no reason why we can't do that from a technical perspective, but uh, the community will have to figure out whether or not that's something we want to do or don't want to do or measure the pros and the cons and all that kind of stuff. What would be any cons of going over 100? Like I've seen the 120 number. I know that there's also, isn't there something significant about like 300 being a long-term uh, max of some kind? Yeah, so the, 
you could get into a situation where you, when you add more and more validators, that the tendermint block time may start to slow. Uh, we're not seeing that quite yet. We're, I think the block times are still um, 5.6 seconds or so uh, on average, um, which is what it was from day one. But if you get into really higher numbers, um, you might see the block time slow down a bit. And maybe that's, that's not the behavior that we want to have within the community. And so it becomes uh, an argument about or a debate about um, how many validators or enough validators to be uh, – you know, efficiently decentralized. Um, the other thing you have to think about is, you know, how much capital is there to actually add to the, the bond side, right? I mean, how many nodes can we actually run, right? I mean, how many people have that kind of quantity? And we might say that, okay, we're going to add, you know, um, uh, a single validator can, a single node operator can, can add bond from multiple uh, Thor addresses, uh, addresses. And so you can kind of expand the number of nodes in the network and the number of capital network that way. We kind of talk about, you know, um, vault nodes and that kind of stuff, but that doesn't, that doesn't relate to what we're talking about here in the context of uh, validators uh, that are committing blocks and managing Asgard vaults. Light nodes don't do that. So that, that would be a separate entity in a sense. And that can scale up to, you know, hundreds and thousands potentially. Uh, I don't think you'd actually see that, that quantity in reality, but there's no upper limit on how many that can be supported there. Validators, the only limit, only limitation uh, is just basically either what Tendermint can support and what the capital of the Thorchain community can support. It's one or two of those things. So, um, I so I, I was hearing recently that the maximum validator count. Uh, I guess you were just saying this before is capped at 100 right now, or um, or yeah. 120. So um, is that the plan for like the, the short term or um, yeah, well, what's the plan like going forward, like into, into mainnet and beyond that? Yeah, the plan right now is um, there's a, a kind of debate that the community should have around whether we should leave it at 100 or leave it at 120. And I don't think that debate really needs to happen today. I think we, we'll just get to 100, which will happen in the next you know, month or so. Um, and then once we're at, we're at 100, we can kind of take a look at, you know, the the state of the the community, the state of the nodes, and kind of have a healthy conversation and a debate about what makes sense. Because um, once we get to a hundred, we get that hit that max, we'll start to see you know some bond wars happening again, and uh, the the minimum bond to get to the network will naturally start to increase again. Now that the number of we hit the max supply of slots, and the demand increases, and therefore the, the amount of room being used to to, to churn in should naturally increase as well. And so maybe we want to say that we're okay with the state of things at that time, or maybe we want to say that we're not okay and we want to expand it to more, more validators. We could do that too. Um, these uh, limits are all, are just arbitrary configurations that can be changed by the, the community, uh, by a, a node memory command uh, to change this to, from hundred to 120. If we want to do that, we can, the community can go make that assertion and, and have, make it happen. So what, what's your thoughts on uh, bond war versus uh, basically Limiting the amount of nodes, but having more of a bond war versus um, expanding the number of nodes that can participate in the network and not so much bond war, but kind of every more nodes can participate. And, and to be fair, there's a lot of nodes that are that will be coming online with the uh, with the announcement of like the, the seed unlocking, which will be directly put into right. bond nodes. Correct. Right. I mean, that, that's going to be a lot of room. Um, you know that that these the early investors who you know bet big into Thorchain in the very very early days, and they have access to a lot of room. Uh, 
And we want that room to be active. We want that room to be participating in the network and contribute to the, the kind of core mechanisms and economics of the network. And so we want to properly incentivize that. And we already had that conversation with a lot of those valid, those uh, investors, excuse me. And so we're going to start to see bond wars eventually, but the question becomes of like, what makes more sense from the, from the network's perspective? And, and that's a debatable thing. Um, I think what's probably makes more sense to me is that if you expand the number of validators, assuming that the network can actually support that, then um, you'll probably gain more room that way than if you allow bond rewards uh, just to take off and kind of battle it out. I think you'll scale up the bond faster over a shorter period of time if you go with that mechanism, which is partly why we, we change the number of validators that turn into the network from additional validators from one to two months back uh, because we wanted to scale up the, the bond quicker and faster, and that was effective to do so. If we move that number back from two back to, to one, you'd see more bond, more bond wars because less people would be churning in on each turn. Um, but you would also see that the total number of rune in the network would not scale as quickly. In, in theory, if we were to change it today to be like, okay, we're going to add 10 new validators in addition to the ones that left uh, on every churn, you'd probably see a faster amount of bond coming to the network quicker. Um, but that, you know, it's, that's a debate for the community to have. But I, I don't think we want to get to a place where we're scaling the bond up too quickly. I think we want it to become happen naturally and not try to like pump it in a sense yeah i think that would be a good problem to have though uh if anything it seems like there's typically more concern on that side like scaling the bond in, pro in proportion to how much liquidity uh potentially wants to come in but yeah, yeah. Uh, cool and at this see. moment we we have you know 20 million rune in, in the pools um and we have the, the the soft cap is currently at you know 24 million so we're not really in a place where the the bond is really you know an issue at this at this moment. I mean, it was a thing that people were talking about uh, a month or two ago, whatever it was. Um, but right now, it's not an issue. I mean, we're about to launch Terra pretty soon as well, and that's going to obviously going to you know a lot of liquidity is going to come in there, and we'll, we'll see things how that changes things. Obviously, um, but right now we're we're doing we're doing right well in terms of like the naturally the the, the network has hit its equilibrium without the without the soft cap enforcing it. It's actually happened naturally on itself. So I'm actually quite happy with how much room is in the pools and how much room is in the bond in this moment. I'm sure that'll they'll both expand and, and grow, of course, but it's it's hit its natural equilibrium without anybody needing to to, to govern that or, or, or force it into submission. So uh, speaking of the equilibrium and like Terra being launched on ThorChain, um, one thing that was announced during the developer update, the, the Medium article that, um, that, that that's put out on this account, um, which I could probably uh, I could probably pin up here in a, in a minute or two, but um, it was announced that with the uh, release of Terra on Thorchain, that uh, the artificial caps would be lifted. So, could you could you talk a little bit about that, and also yep. um, the incentive pendulum in relation to that, and what that means for you know people that will be you know pooling with Terra. In, and it's in scaling the network as well because I think there's a lot of a lot of implications that uh, kind of come with that, especially with a large amount of liquidity that it will likely be added once Terra is released. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the earlier days, we we wanted to have this kind of soft cap because the security of the network needs to be kind of grown with the pools in tandem with each other, and you don't want them to to wonder 
be growing a lot faster than the other, especially in the earlier days where, you know, there's not a lot of room in the, in the bond side and the amount of capital to, you know, to, to stack the pools is not that much required to, to get to that place where you, you're maxing out the system. And then all of a sudden you get this, this problem of like, Oh, Thorchain sucks because, you know, I added liquidity, but I'm not really getting any yield because the caps are, you know, like at the, at, at the hard cap. And that just kind of creates this kind of like, um, uh, media kind of thing in tweets of people kind of shitting on Thorchain because its yield is so low, blah, 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 and all these things. And it's easy to get into that place in the early days because there's just so much, so little room within the, the bond because the bond needs to be, you know, grown. We've now gone to the place where we have, you know, I don't know, you know, the, the numbers off my head, I think it's like 33 million or 34 million, whatever the hell the number is, uh, ruin on the bond side, which is a really good amount. And it's, and everybody who wanted to LP into the system now can LP into the system without, you know, worrying about uh, being capped or whatever. Um, and so we don't really need to kind of worry about that scenario that it might have been concerned in the earlier days when it was just first getting launched and getting its, you know, getting it on its feet. Once Terra launches, um, we're hoping to see a lot of participation from the lunatics um, to add liquidity and swap and all this kind of stuff. Um, we'll see how well that kind of pans out. I'm not, I'm not a fortune teller myself, but I'm hoping that those pools will, will get a good amount of um, depth. And probably won't be day one. Like this is going to take you know a, a couple of weeks for for people to kind of move over and all that kind of stuff. Especially if if a lot of lunatics are have locked up their Luna uh, into the into and to terror and they can't actually access it. But uh, I think over the time span of a, of a week or two, we should see, you know, the pools get sufficiently deep to be a liquid enough to support, you know, uh, a sizable trade. Yeah, I'd imagine it takes uh, at least a few weeks because a lot of people will, like see it go live and then they'll be like, oh, that's cool. Let me uh, let me start to undelegate and wait the three weeks. So, I'm, yeah, I'm sure it won't be... I'm sure it'll be deep enough at the beginning, but then I think we'll really see it start to deepen like a month in or something. Yeah. We've been talking to, you know, Do Kwan as well and the team over at Terra and trying to get some, um, uh, we made a, a, a kind of a, a, um, a spoken word agreement that they would be a LP and, and contribute a good amount of liquidity into these pools to help you get them uh, to be liquid and deep and to, to you know, support their own community in a sense. And so um, we're working with them to, to, to do that. And of course the, the treasury is going to probably take a sizable, um, you know, position in the pool just to help support that, uh, that chain and those assets and the depth of the network itself. And so we're going to continue to support that as well. And then hopefully we'll see a bunch of lunatics just kind of like jump in as well and, and, and throw in some Luna, throw in some room, throw in some UST, throw some room and uh, help contribute. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, is there any uh, any update on timeline that you know? Um, I know there might have been some changes there. I, I know we don't have Pluto on, but uh, just do you know anything there? Yeah, so we've been talk- talking internally uh, about um, about Terra, of course. Um, we want to make sure that uh, things are done um, in a secure way. So we have, we're in a conversation now about Cosmwasm and the potential security risks involved with Cosmwasm, and 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 none of us as as core devs are Cosmwasm experts. We're not terror experts. We're you know more so Thorchain experts. And this is gonna be like, I think an ongoing uh, struggle. I think we're gonna have is that every time we add a new chain, we have to in some sense become you know experts in somebody else's 
you know, ecosystem. And so we want to make sure that, that the Cosmwasm uh, doesn't play a, a risk to the ThorChain network um, in terms of being able to, uh, you know, open up exploits and this kind of thing. Um, so, but I think we're, we're feeling pretty, pretty bullish on it at this point. I think um, whether we sufficiently, you know, blocked Cosmwasm applications from being able to interact with ThorChain directly, um, ones that do want to interact will have to be whitelisted and go through a vetting process first to make sure there's nothing, you know, malicious going on there. Um, but I'm still bullish that we'll, we'll get uh, Terra launched on mainnet um, with you know this month within a week or two. Nice, yeah, that's great to hear. And uh, I, I think everyone understands. Like, obviously, security takes takes priority, and like you know, I'll happily wait another week or two if it means like making sure everything is really locked down. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, it works. I think people have seen it happen on StageNet, where I think somebody swapped you know with from Astroport into doge directly in a single transaction which is pretty fucking cool if you think about it um and so everything fundamentally works we just want to make sure that it gets everything gets audited correctly and everything's secure and once we have that kind of confidence about it i think that's probably the time that'll be uh launched uh and that kind of stuff yeah, that was cool to see. I think that was Pluto that posted that. Um, so, like, that was really demonstrating not only the the, the Terra swap on on Thorchain, but also like the aggregator, right? So it's pretty cool to see that like live and being tested. Going from I think it was was it Doge all the way to Astro or Astro all the way to Doge or maybe both, but um, yeah, pretty cool to see that. Yeah, so like the network already today out of the box always supports what we call swap in aggregation, but doesn't quite yet support swap out aggregation. So swap in integration is like when the, the, the ending DEX is Thorchain. So you start in, you know, potentially one inch or you start in Astroport or you start at something like this, and then you swap into Thorchain. And then the final result is the asset that's going out. In this case, it was a, a Doge, but it could be Bitcoin. It could be Ethereum. It could be any, any asset for that matter. Swap out is a little bit more, uh, complicated and requires more time. We already opened up a, uh, one of the PRs to get swap out to work so that Thorchain can send assets to uh, one inch or Astroport. Um, there's another PR that has to be uh, validated and, and uh, um, audited and emerged and all that kind of stuff. And then there's one more PR about um, that enables Thor node to support it. And then we have to enable Bifrost to support it. That, that's going to be a, probably a separate PR. Um, but overall, those changes are relatively simple. It's actually not that complicated of a change, uh, which is kind of funny to think about because it's a, a significantly you know important feature that has a lot of you know value to it. But it's actually very easy to implement um, from from our perspective, um, and so that's going to happen, which is going to happen probably in version eighty one or, or eighty two of the network will probably support swap out. And once that happens, that's one thing I've been talking to people here in East Denver is like uh, the idea of dex aggregation. I've been trying to connect with various people and get them interested and excited about the idea. This, this idea that you can swap every, any and all asset from any dex to any dex is pretty, uh, you know, uh, amazing concept. And so I'm trying to meet up with people from like One Inch and you know other you know places of dexes and such to, to kind of start the conversation. Um, we were talking to like Badger Dow recently, you know, and getting you know, integration there potentially. Uh, so we're 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 pulling on our connections and contacts, and I'm trying to make more connections here at Beach Denver so that we can um, peripherally torchain uh, um, to other ecosystems. Yeah, that kind of got me like hypothesizing that the the it almost sounds like the swap in is like almost almost like better from a 
like a inbound like marketing perspective because it's like that would allow like say Astroport to to integrate it like right away because then it would be like from going like you'd start on Astroport and end up in Bitcoin or something like that right. is is the easier part right so then yep. that that puts Thorchain that that becomes like this inbound route into Thorchain from all these other places which is like probably the more probably the more important integration uh, arguably. <laughs> Yeah, that's the first one that happens in the sense that, like, the, obviously the most important asset in crypto is Bitcoin because it's, like, obviously the hugest one. And so getting a Bitcoin pair to move out of Terra into Bitcoin is, like, a big deal to me. That, that's a very big deal. Um, but once we get the swap out integration working, you can go from, you know, Astroport to Thorchain to One Inch, And then One Inch is actually doing Uni and Sushi and, like, splitting the transactions into like multiple it's very complicated but from your perspective from a ui perspective you're just like clicking a button <laughs> and everything else just kind of like you know uh everything else just, just happens behind the scenes yeah totally we should clarify that like all this stuff that sounds very complicated is all in the it's it's all in order to make it actually a lot less complicated <laughs> yeah i mean it, from your perspective it, it's, it doesn't make a difference whether you're swapping from Ethereum to USDC like within within the Ethereum ecosystem or you're going from Ethereum to Bitcoin or you're going to Ethereum to Astroport, uh, to Terra or whatever. Like all those things are equal in their complexity from a user's perspective, from a UI UX perspective. You might pay a little bit more in fees because you're going through multiple DEXs and swapping and there's more and more slippage, the more you know DEXs you go through and the more gas that's consumed as part of that. So you might not, you might pay more fees, but from a UI perspective, it's identical. It is actually, there's not any different, different from a UX perspective. So that's, and that's huge. That's like, that's mega huge. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it's a lot better because uh, you don't have to worry about having to go 10 different places and having 10 different wallets and doing all these sketchy things to get where you're going. It's just going to be, just going to be one wallet, one click, everything's connected to everything. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, huge. I mean, it, it, if you're like a person who's like into, you know, Adam coin and you want to move into Bitcoin for say, per se, like there's a, there's like, you know, four steps you got to go through, you know, to, to get there, which is, you know, prohibitively complex, I would say, but soon enough, like it won't, even, none of that will matter. And everything will be, everything is just one, one hop away. And when, it, when everything is one hop away, it feels like everything is the same. Like we have this mentality that we have these different ecosystems. That's like, oh, Terra's over there, and Ethereum's over there, and Tezos is over there, and that whatever. Like all these things are these separate kind of things that exist onto themselves that are completely isolated. It's almost like thinking of them as, as different countries in a sense. But if but if everything is one hop away and everything is just like the same from a UX perspective, then it becomes not so much separate countries, but like one world. And that's a very, very, very different thing. And that's part of what we need in order to make crypto successful uh, and become mainstream and have wider adoption is making it simple. And the idea that I have to understand 12 different ecosystems to function is a bit, you know, gnarly. You know, uh, I, you know I can do that and you can do that because we're, we're early adopters and we spend the time and effort to understand, read articles and, you know, watch YouTube videos or whatever it is that we do. But, the, you know, my, my mom's not going to do that, of course. Neither is yours probably, right? And so in order to get to that place where crypto is widely adopted, it has to be 
a lot simpler than it is. And deck, dex aggregation is, I think, a monumental step in that direction. Yeah, you're talking about a... one one world a little bit. Chad Chad Thoreau and I were on a space uh, yesterday. Uh, we you know we're doing a, a casual a casual live thing, and uh, we we're talking a little bit about um, you know IBC and you know Thorchain. Every like I was kind of comparing it IBC to. Um, like a bullet train in Japan and, and everyone in Japan's like, well, why isn't, why don't we just use the bullet train to get absolutely everywhere in the world? You know, but like, meanwhile, um, you know, we're working on an airplane over here that could just hop over the ocean. You don't, we won't, you, you don't need to think about the, about the bullet train when it comes to worldwide travel. Yeah. We, we need to expand, um, you know, going across the ocean here, not, <laughs> not, not going as quickly as we can from, you know, point A to point B. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like that seems to come up a lot is like, well, how is this different from, from IBC or something? And it's like, well, IBC is like, like in the analogy, it's like, okay, that, those, the, that string of islands are well connected, but that string of islands isn't necessarily connected to all the other continents. Right. right. Um, whereas like, yeah. yeah, go ahead. And, and, and they argue that, that they're going to have integrations with, with these other continents as we put it, you know, like, like Bitcoin and stuff. And I'm sure that will happen eventually, but I think the problem is that, that I see with with that approach is that every chain is going to have a separate system, a separate security model, a separate economic model, a separate team that's building it, and you're going to end up with this kind of like Frankenstein scenario where like this the bridge that connects everything is just kind of this weird complicated thing where you're you don't even know what your exposure is anymore and if any one of these you know of the parts of this frankenstein bridge is has a kink in the armor then the whole thing goes to shit all the assets become at risk on and on every chain and so i think what the difference is is that that as ibc doesn't actually have an economic model built into it it doesn't have um a security model built into it it has a, has a, it's really not even a bridge per se. It's really more of a communication standard of how chain A communicates with chain B. But the implementation of how that actually is done is needs to be implemented in every chain and probably going to be done uniquely, right? And that's I think that from a design perspective, from an architecture perspective, that might be problematic. And so for Thorchain's perspective, we're just saying that we have this one implementation not a protocol in the sense or rather a communication standard the way that uh, IBC is but it's actually one design implementation that guarantees economic safety uh, security that has a a specific set of security uh, assumptions and designs that everybody can reason about think about and those all apply to every chain that connects into the Thorchain ecosystem that becomes a lot less of an attack vector it means a lot less of a complexity to, to, to consider and understand of what you're actually getting involved with. I, I don't know, you know, if I'm dealing with something in the IBC system, there might be a bridge that I'm not even involved with, that I don't even care about that, that ecosystem or that, uh, that, that blockchain. And it was implemented in some way that's, you know, problematic, maybe like a wormhole like scenario, what we saw, you know, a few weeks ago. And everything else is put, like everything that I'm involved with gets put at risk that becomes a, a significant problem, and this is my view. Um, so I, I'm not really, I like the idea of IBC in many respects, but in terms of this idea of unifying the, all of crypto, 
it, I, don't, I don't think it makes sense to me. It makes sense within Cosmos. I think that's a really interesting way of going at it within the Cosmos space. But once you get outside of Cosmos, you get into the rest of the world, outside, especially outside the EDM chains, it gets a lot more scary and, and, and troublesome. Yeah, there's something Vitalik touched on in that video too, where he was saying like how like, like bridges, could, uh, they're like inversely proportional. The more, the more they scale, the less secure, right? And like there's more at stake uh, like if you right. have ten billion dollars in a bridge, it's like okay, now that's a huge target. If you have like you know a million dollars in a bridge, okay, maybe it can slide by okay and not be a huge a huge risk. But it's like the, the problem would just compound and compound and compound if we continue down this route until you just have like this like you said Frankenstein combination of all these weird routes and bridges and wrapping and and all the stuff going on. Versus with Thorchain, it just has this like complex but actually relatively like simple fundamental idea which is that like it, it's just this economic security design where you have nodes that are um essentially like controlling wallets on all these various chains and watching what's happening and just you know, like you know watching what's coming in uh, approving what's going out like it's actually really really simple and elegant and there's just economic drivers that are cause that are creating the security and therefore it doesn't care like about which sort of like technical stuff each thing is using right it's just like, as long as it can just as long as it can just like monitor what's going on and have the same uh economic drivers like holding it secure then 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 it'll work for everything yeah yeah i, I think as as complicated as store chain is and it needs to be complicated because what's the problem it's solving is very complex and difficult and partially why it hasn't been solved since for, for years. But it'd be, I'd much rather try to understand one implementation of a cross-chain bridge than trying to understand 17 of them, which might be the result of what we might see in a Franken-style bridge where every chain has its own team that built its own security and its own system that is has to be understood and read about and, and, and considered. Whereas in our case, just like you need to understand the Thorchain design, that's it. And it's universally worked with everything in the space, whether you're EVM chain or you're a UTXO chain or your proof of history chain, it doesn't matter. It's all treated identically the same. And so it becomes a lot easier to, to reason about for that matter. Chad, uh, one thing that I've seen a couple questions on is uh, people are wondering if uh, there will be hardware support for, uh, for Luna supported like, on the release of Luna on Thorchain. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a question for the UIs to solve, in a sense. I hope so. It should, it should be done. And I'm sure that the competition between ThorSwap and, and AsgardX and the other UIs will, will, will kind of garner the, that, that importance to, uh, to, uh, to do that. Um, so, yeah, I think it will happen eventually. But it's just a question of who's going to do it. Is it going to be XDeFi? Is it going to be uh, ThorSwap? Is it going to be AsgardX? Who knows? Well, X XDefi and TerraStation can already work with Ledger. So I, unless I just don't understand something technically, I would think, assuming you can connect those wallets, like wouldn't, wouldn't it still like wouldn't those ones automatically uh, already be compatible? Uh, I don't know to be honest. I, I haven't hmm. spent much time working on the like the Ledger implementation personally, so I don't have a deep understanding of it. But my, I would imagine that that once we do one Cosmos chain, which technically ThorChain itself is. I would imagine it'd be pretty simple to, to, to implement one for, you know, Terra and one for uh, Gaia and one for, you know, these Cosmos-based chains. Got it. Yeah, I'll have to check on that. But yeah, my assumption was XDeFi and TerraStation at the least would be 
possible right away just because those already work with ledger uh just just generally yes, so that, that that could be true i mean once once we had the, the bdc ledgers uh set up um we had access to all the you know all the other etx on chains like doge and and litecoin and, and others so it, it very well could be true i actually don't know cool yeah i'll, I'll try and check on that there's a uh, couple more other questions that are in the uh, the comment section. Uh, just so anyone knows, anyone can ask questions here or uh, raise your hand to come up on stage to ask uh, chat a question. So um, in the comments to the original post announcing that uh, the space was going on, um, there's a question from Runatic. Uh, a few questions. Uh, minting synthetics allows for pool depth to increase, but not for liquidity to increase. Is there any risk for synthetics limiting liquidity in pools um well i I agree with half that question um minting synthetics does increase the depth of the pools and it also depending how you define the word liquidity because it's an overutilized term meaning many different things um it does probably mean that the liquidity also increases with it and the reason why that is because the deeper a pool is the cheaper the fees are and the cheaper the fees are, the more likely you're going to have more swaps and trades because the fees are cheaper. Um, so uh, there will be limitations in terms of how many synthetics can be, can be minted on the network to, to not overexpose the LPs to, to too much uh, kind of leverage, in a, say, in a sense. But every time somebody mints a synthetic, the pools get deeper. And that should also increase liquidity as well. Awesome. To add that... To- if I could add just a little bit on that, I think like the sort of concern there, um, me and Cow were kind of talking about this yesterday, but like, so when you were, when you were, if you were adding, if you're creating a synth, you're it's going to the pool. So that's like a one-to-one basically. It's like that synth is being minted against its equivalent new LP being added. So it's like, yeah, there's liquidity depth being added there, but it's not like new, uh, like it doesn't, um, it doesn't add. It, it kind of like hits the cap of where more synths could be could be minted, right? Like, it, like by adding the synth, you're just adding the equivalent. Um, so I feel like the question is kind of like, you know, is there any concern about just like having enough liquid, like, um, like the demand for the single sided synths could be so crazy, right? <laughs> so I think the question is like, you know, like pairing, like how do you deepen the overall uh, depth to like accommodate uh, synths. All, like since having space, uh, even though it does it does increase the pool depth, but it doesn't increase uh, the ability to mint more since against that, right? Uh, it does, but not like a one to one. So, like the act of adding a synth will naturally increase the depth of the pool, which will naturally increase the, the quantity of synths that can can be on the network. But it won't be like, oh, I I minted a synth and therefore one synth is, you know, also available. Actually, I think it's like mathematically it's it, it's reductive. So you would like, if you minted one synth, one BDC, for example, you might, you know, add, um, I think it's like probably like, uh, if I do the math, I think it would be like probably close to like a third of a, of a, of a synth or like a quarter of a synth or something like this. I'm not sure they think they can remember off the top of my head. But, be, but you are actually increasing the depth and by doing so, uh, in this case, in the synthetics case, you're actually adding room to the pool, which causes arbitrage to happen to add in Bitcoin to the pool. And because Bitcoin's depth is now increased because of that room that you added, more synths can technically be supported on that network. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, awesome, cool. We have a few requests, so um, uh, yeah, let me let me just ask the other question that is up on. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, that is up in the comments, and then we'll get yeah, to the, just, everyone. That just, just to clarify, though, it, 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 there will there will be a cap on synths, and there will be times possibly where people can't acquire a synthetic asset, and that's okay, right? And that, that, that I don't particularly have an issue with that. I just that's just going to cause more you know demand for for deepening the pool further, and once the pool gets further deepened, that'll open up you know slots in a sense to acquire uh, a synthetic uh, asset. Yeah, we were even throwing out like the the concept of like I know how like the synth vaults are intended to be fixed like savings, but like hypothetically, what if there was almost like an incentive pendulum between that where it, it would like if there was if the synth cap was like always hit, then like more rewards would go to the LP. I guess that kind of happens naturally in a sense, um, but yeah, it, it could be interesting. Yeah, I think we'll have to see what happens. Like in reality, you can you can talk about uh theoretically what, what what may happen in situation a or b but you really don't know for certain until the actual economics is you know pushing it so um when we launch synthetics we'll keep the caps very small um just to reduce the exposure just in case there's some sort of issue it won't be uh, a big issue in a sense but we'll see the, what the behavior is and see what happens and that will help kind of educate uh, myself and the rest of the community about the actual behavior of synthetics and we might to choose to make a you know a design change to the economics to do what you were suggesting, um, Chad. So uh, we don't really quite know in a sense. We have to wait until we see how the economics play out and, and adjust as we need to. For sure. And just to clarify one thing for people, um, when when synths initially come out, that's uh, that's just the synths. The synth vaults uh, to earn like fixed yield and stuff. That's like a later Thorfi feature. So I think that's when like we'll really see the demand for synths uh, kick up like crazy. Uh, you know, like the, the trade, the trading is still huge. And I think that'll, you know, drive a lot of volume and drive a lot of fees and stuff. But I think when people can lock up, essentially earn Bitcoin on Bitcoin single sided, I mean, that that's like the best product in all of DeFi. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and like I was just talking to Gavin over at Nine Realms uh, yesterday and he was saying how like the part of what Nine Realms is doing is it's trying to like talk to kind of whales in a sense and get them more liquidity into Thorchain and kind of garner that relationships and stuff. And there's a lot of liquidity that he uh, basically has access to or people that he talks to that have a lot of liquidity. And they, a lot of them want, they don't want to take on the rune exposure. They're just Bitcoin people or they're Ethereum people or whatever. And they're, they're not necessarily, uh, um, you know, rune warriors in a sense and they want single access a uh, single liquidity uh single um, asset um, exposure and and source savings is going to be i think a good thing for them for those people but that, that's one of the problems we have to solve is like well how much store savings can the network take and still remain economically secure and that's gonna be something that we're gonna have to work out in time but you're right and when we first launched synthetics the only people that are going to really hold synthetics are people who want to trade back and forth like for faster more efficient trades or arbitrage bots who want to arbitrage the pools and earn yield cool so um this is a question that's actually related so um it's also two questions in one. Uh, the question is if there is an updated DORFI roadmap and also whether that includes uh, iRune or basically the single-sided exposure to, to a rune yield. So that's kind of a two-sided question there. But updated DORFI roadmap? Yeah. So we've been uh, chatting about DORFI for quite a while. 
we are now on, I think, V5 or V6 or whatever it is. Uh, we keep on um, changing some things, or not changing, but more, more accurately fine-tuning. Um, I was even talking to somebody over at uh, Delphi uh, last night uh, about the design and trying to get his, his thoughts and feelings, and he seemed pretty bullish on the idea and the design pattern. Um, but Irune is an interesting topic, though, because um, there's some inherent problems with Irune. And that is that we want to make sure that the rune that the network uh, has that, that, are, that is contributed by its community is being actively participating in the, in the network itself in the sense that it's providing a service. Like if, if ThorChain were to say hypothetically today that you can now stake your rune into the node similar to what like, you, know, you can do on, on, on Gaia or, or, or Terra, and you can earn a, you know, a 10% yield or whatever the hell the number would be, that wouldn't be helpful for the network itself. Because all that's really happening is you're locking up a bunch of rune out of the ecosystem, and you're not making the pools deeper. You're not actually increasing the, the bond. Um, yeah, maybe you could argue that you're reducing the circulating supply and therefore pushing the price up. Okay, all right, maybe that. Um, but you're not actually participating in the network and actually contributing to what it's actually trying to accomplish, which is really it's bread and butter. It's, it's liquidity pools. So um, Irun... Um, if it is ever implemented, it needs to be implemented in a way that it contributes to the goals of the network. And it's not just a yield-bearing thing for the purpose of yield-bearing. That's not how this can or should work, at least in my, my two cents opinion. Um, there might be a mechanism to do that in the future. Uh, you could do, um, you know, potentially uh, rune on the store savings, possibly. But I would be kind of hesitant to do so because the act of doing so would actually cause a uh, sell pressure on the rune asset naturally um, because you're adding rune to the network into the pools, which means that the rune side is, is deeper on uh, and then in the pool, which means people are going to buy Bitcoin to sell uh, rune or buy Ethereum to sell rune buy USDC to sell rune. Um, so that creates a, a natural sell pressure, which is not, I don't really want to have that can experience either. So we haven't really came up with an iRune design that makes sense to me quite yet. That doesn't contribute, that, that doesn't contribute to the network in one form or another. Maybe we could do something where uh, we have a pool of rune that is just dynamically moving between all of the pools and you, your exposure is just on the rune side and not the asset side. And that way your, your rune is being contributed to the network and you're actually contributing to make the pools deeper. Maybe something like that might be possible. Um, but in this time, it, uh, I don't have a, a, a design pattern in mind that would satisfy the needs of the network other than uh, the light node system and, and, and vault system. Like that is something where you you just have rune exposure and you don't need to be a technically you know, a, a Linux master and you don't need to have you know, 300,000 rune. You could do it you know 30, 30 rune if you really wanted to. Uh, so that's probably going to be one of the mechanisms in the future where you can earn rune on your rune uh, it would be light nodes. Or... Right. I think you've touched on that before and it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the, uh, the other part of that question is, is there any updated Dorfi roadmap coming soon? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we floated some design ideas towards uh, Delphi earlier. Like this is like a month ago or so or back in January, I think it was, or no, February, early February. And Delphi, Delphi was not, um, they didn't like some of the aspects of, the, of that design. And then we took it to Multicoin and Multicoin did like uh, that, that design implementation. And since then we've made some tweaks and adjustments based upon the feedback we got from, from Delphi. 
And I was just talking to the guy last night here over the Delphi party in East Denver and kind of shared some of the design aspects to it. And he, he seemed much more bullish on it today than he was uh, a month ago. So we're getting, we're definitely getting closer and closer to the, to the design idea that we kind of very spent a lot of time thinking through. And I, we do definitely want to get it out to the community um, relatively soon to kind of get some feedback and thoughts and opinions because there are some design elements to this, this thing or, that is unheard of in the in the DeFi space that that is really challenges our core assumptions about how DeFi functions and what what is is and is not possible. Uh, and so it's a pretty uh, ambitious design uh, to say the least. And so there will be very strong opinions in either direction on this thing for sure. And I'm happy to, you know, talk to people and we can do a Twitter spaces or a, a stage within Discord and people can, you know, yell at me if they want to. Uh, and we can have a real good conversation about that and people can decide whether or not they want to support this or don't support it. That's up to the community to decide. But hopefully I want to see this out to the community, um, probably not this month, but hopefully next month. Cool. Uh, thanks, Chad, for the update. And uh, we're looking forward to whenever we can get more information on, on all that stuff. So uh, whoever in the comments would like to come up, just make sure to press that request button. I see everyone that has requested already and we'll get to you. So uh, we'll just go uh, We'll just go in order here. We'll go down the road. And uh, yeah, whoever wants to come up, just press that request button and uh, we'll make sure there's enough time for you to ask a question as long as uh, Chad B doesn't have anywhere to be. So uh, Marty, what's up, man? Welcome. Thanks. So my uh, questions are very prosaic. Uh, it was a great uh, discussion. But so we're going to get IBC, and we're going to be able to move UST into the Thor chain. So could you give me some noob, you know, kind of uh, insight when it comes to what kind of pools you know UST is going to be in? Um, and what's your perception of the depth, you know, within a week of those pools? That was sure. sure. Um, yeah, so one thing is it's not IBC. So ThorChain is actually going to have actual uh, Terra addresses on the, the Terra network. It's not actually being beamed across by IBC. That's the first thing. Um, the, the second question I think I heard you ask is, uh, what kind of depth it's going to have? That I don't really quite know. Um, I expect it to be. If I'm just going to take a wild guess here, I'm expecting it to be a few million uh, within the first week, or at least like maybe ten million. I hope to see to get to break thirty within you know a, two or three weeks, hopefully. But you know, I I don't have crystal ball, so I really have no idea. It's really depending upon the community to decide how much money they want to put behind it. Okay, so maybe more specifically or so what are your you know target pools with UST in them sorry so there's only going to be one one pool with UST in it and there's only going to be one pool with Looney in it so when we uh, launch a Terra integration there'll be two pools created uh, where you can get UST and uh, Luna from or trade between so there'll only be two but you have access to every asset. You have like, you can trade your UST to Bitcoin, UST to Ethereum, UST to USDC, or vice versa. You'll have access to every asset in the ThorChain ecosystem. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Marty. Um, next, uh, Moonkin. Hello. Hmm. 
Right. Yeah. Sorry about that. Hey guys, as always, thanks for the, um, the insights. I just had a question on, um, I heard you guys mention like a couple of weeks back or a week or so, um, ago back, um, regarding, um, regarding the hack like last year and as to how, how it pertained to like the properties of uh, ERC twenties, Ethereum <coughs> uh, tokens. And uh, why was that the case of, um, like, why were those particularly, you know, at risk or compromised? And maybe something as to why that might not be the case when introducing UST or um, Luna. Thanks. Yeah, so, and the exploits that we experienced back in the summer, those all of them were around the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, in one case, there was uh, somebody created an ERC-20 ERC token that looked like Ethereum and convinced the network that it was actually Ethereum, which obviously it's not. And a few other ones where somebody sent a transaction of 1,000 ETH to their own contract and then forwarded the transaction to our contract, leaving the ETH in their contract. But the transaction details said, oh, this transaction has 1,000 ETH in it. Like that created another uh, problem early on. Um, Ethereum is very kind of funky in some ways from a security perspective. The fact that you can manipulate transaction information at all is just befuddles me as an engineer. It's just uh, that lets me know that, that security wasn't really kind of a core concept in the design implementation of of solidity and all this kind of stuff. But that's why we're that's why we're concerned about Cosmosm on Terra is that you can have a, a potentially a similar situation, which is why. We're taking a more defensive approach and not allowing Cosm, random Cosmwasm applications to integrate with ThorChain or random ERC, a random, ERC, random uh, smart contracts on Ethereum to integrate with ThorChain. It just creates so much um, uh, avenue for, for exposure, uh, so, so much risk and surface attacks that it's just not worth it, to be honest with you. And so you can still integrate with those things. You just got to whitelist them. So any smart contract that wants to interface with uh, ThorChain goes through a, a betting process first. And, and our ThorStack team or, you know, professionals at this will go through that code and audit it, make sure it's on the level and there's nothing malicious there or anything like that. And then, you know, we'll whitelist it and, and, and expand the capabilities of ThorChain. Did, did that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Like, um yeah, the, the the specific properties of the Ethereum blockchain and how you're able to edit transaction information is why um, what what led to the exploit. So, um, if I may, then uh, so native assets they they aren't really susceptible to the same sort of risks then, like just trading Luna Correct. for Bitcoin or UST for Bitcoin. Yep. Like we we should be feeling pretty safe around those. Right. Correct. All right. Yeah, cool. Thank you guys very much. Yep, no worries. Cool, thank you, Munkin. Uh, next up, uh, Zook. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for doing these weekly spaces. It's really great to uh, get regular updates on the project. I'm a big fan of TorChain. I've been following you guys for uh, three months or so. Uh, I've got my Luna ready and my Rune ready for the, the pool. So I'm going to be an LP once uh, that launches. Uh, my question is about uh, Rune, um, Rune to tokenomics, especially the emission 
of uh, Rune. I, I'd like to know if Rune is an inflationary asset. Is there going to be a lot of Rune created in the future? Uh, could you please give me just an overview of uh, Rune uh, emission schedule? Thank you. Sure. Yeah, so um, Rune as an asset today is 100% uh, pre-mined. And that's the, the total supply. Originally, actually, it actually was a 1 billion uh, coins. And actually, we, we went through a process to burn half of that um, many, many months ago. But so right, so right now, it's a 500 million um, um, total supply can exist. The vast, vast, vast majority of that is sitting in the reserve, which is owned and controlled by the network itself. The Treasury has some room, um, relatively speaking, it's not very much to the what the reserve has. And that admission schedule uh, was recently, um, I think we recently doubled it like uh, two months ago um, by popular demand of the community. Um, so that admission schedule is uh, somewhat similar to uh, Bitcoin's admission schedule a little bit and should last, um, technically should last infinitely. Uh, this is kind of a funny idea, but the, the rune in the reserve technically is actually infinite, even though it's a it's a it's a a, 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 a limited supply, and that's because the the, the reserve is emits a, a block of reward, uh, and every block is is less than the previous block. The amount of rune emitted is less and less and less and less and less and less. And so you have this kind of you graph that out, you get this thing that's kind of asymptotes to zero, but never really gets to zero. And in addition to that, you have you know, an income into the reserve of room being put in through swaps, through Thor names, so through other mechanisms, uh, banding, I guess that's that as well. And so that all has income into the network, so it kind of keeps it topped up uh, so that it'll always kind of exist. It'll always have room sitting in there. Um, and it gets to a point where it just it gets kind of the supply and the demand equal each other within the reserve and just kind of stays stationary there just to some regard. Um, but yeah. But that's, that could change. One of the ideas we've been thinking about within ThorFi, and this is, again, is something the community would have to vote on and, and, and decide whether or not they want to do this or do not want to do this, uh, is the idea that if we were to do a stable coin, theoretically, and we were to kind of mimic very strongly the UST model, where you're burning and minting rune uh, and you're burning and minting um, you know, UST, or our case might be you know, USD or Thor USD might be called then that would change the, 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 the monetary policy of the rune asset. And so people have to kind of figure for themselves whether they like that or don't like that, support it or don't support it. Um, and the community kind of makes a determination and we move forward in whatever direction that is. Cool, cool. Uh, just uh, one, one concern that I have uh, around that is that um, – Sometimes on these weekly calls, I, I, um, we, we, we hear about uh, Thorify and having a, a savings account similar to Anchor Earn on Luna. Uh, but Anchor Earn is, is having problems with their yield reserve and the, the model doesn't seem sustainable. So my worry is that Rune would be printed to subsidize a high savings rate on a, a Thorify savings account. Um, should I be concerned about that? Is that in the plan? No, no, no. That's not in Thank the plans. Thank you. Um, let me put it another way. Um, the interest that's the, the, the money that's earned, the capital that's earned to pay off Thor savings is not minted. The only thing, the only time Rune gets minted is when you're, you know, theoretically in this design, if we go, if we, if the community wants to go forward with it, the only time it gets minted or burned is when 
somebody is burning, uh, you know, uh, a Thor USD, which is similar to USD, and or minting the other direction, right? It doesn't just mint rune out of nothingness in order to pay the Thor savings. That would be, economically speaking, that would be a disaster. That's something I would personally kind of push against. Um, so that's a completely different thing that would not be an issue within this context. Maybe you could just expand a little on uh, like what does fund uh, Thor savings. Oh yeah, absolute question. Um, so, two things. One is, I, I agree with what you're saying about with um, anchor protocol being not sustainable. And I don't think anybody thinks that. I, don't, I doubt even Doquan thinks that it's actually sustainable. And, it's, and that's actually okay. They're just going to probably at some point reduce the the yield from twenty percent down to something something more uh, reasonable. Um, but for Thorchain, the way that it generates the yield is that uh, it's lending. And so people provide collateral, and that collateral is a yield-bearing asset and generates a yield that the network keeps. And the network uses that yield to pay off the Thor savings stuff. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. And to be clear, it generates yield through trading fees and you know the, the and swaps that are going on on the network. But this is the only well, network that yeah. Thor's Thor savings would not get yield from that. That goes to the LPs. The LPs keep their yield. It's not taking from the LPs in order to pay oh, off the Thor savings. It's a different mechanism where the collateral is is LP units and it is yield bearing. And so you're giving up your collateral as a as a lender or a borrower. And you're saying, I don't want to get the yield from this LP. Instead, I want to get this, you know, this loan asset, but maintain exposure to the original collateral that I added in, the Bitcoin and the rune or the Ethereum and the rune or whatever it is. Um, yeah. 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 The way I kind of see that is, you know, like, like Anchor, Anchor's essentially doing the same thing. They're just doing it with like staked assets, right? But I see what the problem probably is, is, you know they're they're taking the staking yields, which are like what on average like ten or twelve percent, or probably less if they're, if you're factoring in like the bonded ETH that they take as collateral to now, uh, and then on, and then on and then on earn they're giving nineteen point five percent. So it's like okay, there's there's a gap there, right? Like, and that's kind of probably why like they have all the depletion problems and stuff like that. Whereas as far as yeah. I understand it, like with the with the Thorfi design. Like, you know, the, the LP units are like, you know, that's, you can look at like the APYs on the, on the main Thorchain pools right now. And you can see that like, okay, like it could fund and the synth yield is, is going to be below that and fixed, but still it's like more sustainable because it's, it's only, it's not tied to just like ink token being farmed and all of that sort of thing. It's more just like coming directly from, uh, from those LP units. Yeah, and, and the the fixed rate interest that that Thor Savings would produce is not actually a fixed rate forever. It's not like Anchor where it's like it's twenty percent and it's been like that way for years or whatever the hell it is. It has a, a quarterly system. Every quarter, it can update its interest rates to be increase them or decrease them depending upon uh, market conditions. And so, even when you even if you have a, a bank account with savings in there, like a like a regular bank account, like they change their interest rates, you know, every quarter or so. Right, and Thorchain effectively does the same thing, where you have reliable income for a quarter. The interest rates change; they go up or they go down depending upon market conditions, and you can choose to stay in or leave. Up to you. 
Do you have any guesses as to like the proportion between like the fixed yield and the overall pool yield? Like say for example, the Rune UST pool ends up being like consistently a 30% APY. Like, do we have a, like, like, is it, is it like a one to two ratio or like any thoughts on like what that proportion might end up looking like? Yeah. I, I don't know. I have a, a good idea what the proportion look like. I, I, it will be less like if you, if you have a single asset exposure and a fixed rate interest, the interest will be less than what you would get if you were an LP, right? Cause you're, you're paying for a system where you have less risk because it's fixed rate and you're saying, I want consistent income and I don't want to you know, worry about permanent loss and I don't want to take on these additional um, risk aspects and therefore you have, you have less reward. But as an LP, you're taking on more risk because you're taking on exposure to two, to two different assets. You're taking on a permanent loss exposure. You're taking, to, uh, taking on all these kind of things and variable rate interest rates, which depends upon market conditions and all these things. And so because of those, the, the more risk on relative to the other one, that will probably, and I would be shocked if it was not the case, but that will almost certainly generate a higher yield uh, than what Thor Savings would produce. For sure. Uh, one thought real quick, just to put on my Thor Chad moon boy hat, but uh, it's kind of crazy to imagine like if, if like synthetic UST vaults could end up like exceeding anchor earn, or if anchor ended up using uh, like using synthetics and vaults on the back end to like power stuff that they're doing or taking in, taking in that as collateral. Like there's, there's some really exciting ideas that are, you know, all just kind of hypothesizing, but could get really could get really interesting. For sure. All right, yeah, we're going to keep going to all these questions here. Uh, I'll let up one last person, and that'll be it for this week, but we'll get through everyone that's on the stage here uh, as long as we have time. Cool. Dan's so, had uh, his hand up for a while. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, Dan. Cool. Uh, welcome, man. Hey, everyone. Hope you're having a good day. Uh, yeah, I just had a quick question regarding kind of the government governance model going forward. I know back in 2018, uh, there was some discussion around having the node operators and the validators as well as some delegators. And, you know, my current understanding is that public delegation is no longer permitted or is not permitted at all. Um, and so, you know, with planned obsolescence kind of right around the corner in the next couple months, I was curious if you could speak to, you know, what the governance model would look like uh, going forward after that point. Sure. Um, one is I would say planned obsolescence is not around the corner, I would say. Uh, I don't plan on stepping back from the project anytime soon. Uh, I just don't think it's ready quite yet, but I'm pushing to get to that place. It'll probably be closer to like the end of year. If I had to, if I had to take a, a wager or a guess today, that would be my guess. Um, the governance question. Uh, governance is um, is not necessarily a DAO like how it works in many other systems, which is a different has its own pro, pros and cons in that implementation. And in Thorchain's case, every validator basically gets a single vote, and they can either adopt a change or adopt, don't adopt a change. If they want to see Terra, you know, added, they can, you know run the Terra daemon and, and add it. And if the two-thirds majority, you know, agrees on that, then Terra is now added. Or if we want to change some of the economic patterns or some of the economic concepts to tweak the, you know, algos or any of these kind of things, that all requires a consensus of the nodes to, to make that kind of change. So in the end, it's, it's really the validators who, who determine the, the path forward of the network itself. And they're also probably the, the, the biggest holders of room in the world, like collectively as a, as a group. 
they have you know 33 million room right now which is more than you know the, all the lps combined and and all these kinds of stuff. so they have the highest exposure to it so they're incentivized more than anyone else to get it to get it right because they're highly exposed to this asset with millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars at it they obviously don't want to make a, make a change that uh threatens the room uh asset the room price Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Thanks for uh, kind of shedding some light in that direction. Uh, and then just based on that last question kind of got me thinking. So in the example that if you, you know, you minted uh, a, a synth that was backed by those LP units uh, and you're obviously getting less for the reasons you just described, less uh, less yield for those reasons, um, you know, what would so let's say that the LP units are yielding 30%. And just for the sake of uh, this this argument, let's say that the um, the synth was yielding 10% fixed, then what, where would that gap of 20%, where would that be flowing to? Would that flow back into the pools or would that go to the reserve or you know, kind of what does that picture look like? Well, it, it's, a, it's slightly more complicated than that because if the pool is generating 30% yield and you generate a synth, which means that you hold something that is pegged to the synthetic Bitcoin, let's just say, I mean, whatever value that 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 one BDC that you have, that thirty percent that that one BDC you have would be earning, a hundred percent of that goes to the LPs, the other LPs of the system. You're basically saying I'm providing capital into the pool, but I forego any yield, any profit or loss. Actually, it works in both directions. With it, if it's a permanent loss or or whatever, and so you're saying I forego any of this. I just want to hold an asset that is pegged to the to you know Bitcoin. I'll just say, and so. All that 30% of that one big BDC is going to all the other LPs of the system. And the 10% that that, that, that Thor Savings thing is generating is not coming from you as a regular LP -er. It's coming from the collateral that somebody is using to get a loan. And that collateral is yield bearing and earning that 30% interest, right? And that is paying off that 10% to that Thor Savings person. Right, and the other twenty percent that's being made at the differential between those two things is, you know, it goes to the, the protocol itself, and that becomes protocol-owned liquidity that is just further um, buffers and further supports for savings and lending and all these things to just make it deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper to make the network more economically um, um, like a juggernaut in some sense. But if you, you also have to think about like the ratios between these two things. So if I have you know, $100 in collateral that's earning 30% yield. And in Thor Savings, we have, you know, $300 in Thor Savings. Those two things basically cancel each other out because you're earning 30% on the $100 and you need, you know, 10% on the $300. And those two things are basically equal to each other at that point. And so it matters how much is being lent out right and how much is uh not so much how you lined up how much collateral is put into the system at, for, to get a loan and how much store savings exists uh that people are trying to get that asset uh get yield on that, on that fixed rate interest so that kind of matters so that all comes into the play and the pol will kind of place a, a buffer between these two things and then every three months the network kind of ch changes the yield of store savings to kind of match what is what makes sense right either it goes up or it goes down depending upon which direction it needs to be moved um so if it finds that there's too much thor savings and not enough loan it'll probably ratchet down the interest rate on the thor savings which will cause some people to leave which is fine and it caused the the yield that we are making in the collateral to be you know more than enough to pay off the thor savings and the pol will play that kind of cushion 
uh, if there's a little bit of a differential between these two things, the POL would, get, would be that kind of cushion to, to, to support it. And if it really needs to, it could probably get into the reserve and kind of extreme fucking wild scenarios. But I, I doubt that will ever actually happen in theory. Right on. That, uh, that totally connected that last dot for me. I really appreciate it. You, you all have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Uh, K Coefficient, welcome back. Hey guys, can you hear me okay? Yep. So thinking about the uh, uh, POL pro- protocol on liquidity in that sense, have you all ever considered like a mercenary uh, protocol owned arb- arb- arbitrage bot to fund to co- got, kind of go hand in hand with uh, POL? Or is that um, really bad? Yeah. <laughs> I think in order to do what you're suggesting, at least how I'm thinking about it, this R bot would have to exist outside of the network, right? Because it needs to generate, it needs to know what the market price is of, of you know, Bitcoin or whatever. And it needs to know what the pool price of Bitcoin on Thorchain and then see a differential uh, and then generate the yield from uh, correcting the pool price. Because it's off chain, that would that would for me kind of be a, a non-starter because I would I rather just have the community do the off-chain stuff and not have Thorchain try to like you know expand beyond itself in a in a weird kind of way. So there's no intention within the within the core devs to build some sort of arb bot. We feel that, that the arbs out there that are doing arbing they're doing a really good job of it. I mean the pools are very correct. Uh, the pricing is, is kept kept well i think in my opinion so they're doing a good job i don't think we need the network to do anything additional to that in my opinion um but the pol it's it is important to have in some sense because it helps keep the pools deep even in bear cycles where people get uh, a little bit jittery and and you know are suffering losses and they you know panic and fud and and like leave and all this kind of stuff. You don't want that. You want, want the pools to remain deep and remain li- liquid even in, in, in bear cycles. And so POL will mostly generate most of its income probably from the, um, uh, the uh, lending collateral. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, maybe don't understand the power of protocol on liquidity versus renting liquidity or aka um, you know basically paying off liquidity providers with uh, emissions and protocol on liquidity changes that drastically so that's all I have thanks man yeah and in the design we talked about lending like uh since the network is taking the yield from that collateral that people are providing, you as a borrower, you don't really care about if you're getting yield or not because you're not you're not getting you already agree that you're not getting yield. Right? You're, and the network is giving you a zero percent interest loan as a thank you in a sense, right? So you're getting your loan for what you want to do with it. You're paying a zero percent interest, which is you know spectacular from your perspective. And so you might say to yourself, "I want to three x long my position of Bitcoin because I'm a Bitcoin." maxi or something like this and so you might provide a bunch of bitcoin in the network get lp units provide that as collateral get your loan swap that out to bitcoin the bitcoin comes back in as collateral 
uh, sorry, as a LP, and then you get that LP unit, so you put that as, as collateral for another loan, and then you just kind of, you know, round robin this thing, you know, two or three or four times, whatever you want to do. And each time you do that, you're making the pool deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, which is great. So now we're, we're getting Bitcoin maxis effectively and Ethereum maxis or whatever to, to, to like, because they want to 3x long their position on some other asset on Dogecoin or whatever, they're actually helping. We're letting them do what they're trying to accomplish by 3x long the position on an asset in a decentralized fashion without KYC. But at the same time, they're helping making the pools a lot deeper, which is really great for ThorChain, great for the Rune asset, right? And so that's a very, very, very kind of like positive thing in a sense. But you don't care about the yield of the LP because you're not, you're not keeping it. The network's keeping it. So there's a potential, theoretically speaking, that, that the pools will eventually become all collateral for loans. And the LPs, the regular LPs, won't LP anymore because the, the incentive pendulum will push the, all the, the, the income to the nodes because the pools are getting deeper and deeper and deeper because they don't care about the fucking yield at all, right? And so, they, so LPs might just choose to leave and say, I'm not going to LP anymore because I'm only getting 5% interest or whatever the hell it is. And we're going to uh, go become a Thor savings person and I'm going to get fixed rate interest on my thing or, or whatever. We don't, you know, it, who knows? It's going to be a fascinating thing to see how that kind of uh, unravels. But this is part of the conversation that the community should have and discuss and, and debate and argue. And, and I'm happy to, to be a part of that and, and kind of share a perspective and help educate for people to have informed perspectives and informed decisions about how they want to move forward. Uh, next up, we have Patriot. Thanks for waiting. Hey, guys. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, security a little bit, um, the safety of the network. Um, I was back. I've been in ThorChain now for a while. I got to experience the hacks. And uh, I want to let you know, I was emotionally prepared for more hacks. <laughs> I really was. Um, but you guys, you know, batting down the hatches, you know, Chad Barraford, we had ThorSec, Nine Realms, and um we haven't had a major hack as far as I know since. And I, I think you guys don't get enough credit for that. So good job. I mean, I'm fucking amazed. Um, the thing, a question I have is aggregators. I am so excited for aggregators. It just blows my mind, you know? Um, but to me, it just seems that ag aggregators are, it's kind of like an externality of ThorChain, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I was wondering if you could speak to, you know, having all these aggregators, or do you think that is an attack vector? for someone who may not have our best interests at heart? Um, or do you feel like we can do that pretty safely? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, no, I, I don't think it, it, it does not increase our attack surface. I would say, I would even go as far to say it does not increase our attack surface at all. Because in, in respect, all that's really happening is the only difference between an aggregator and no aggregator is that Either a person's doing a swap, you're swapping your Bitcoin for Ethereum, or a DEX is doing it. And I don't really care I, which, who's doing it, whether it's our bot, whether it's a person doing a random swap, or some DEX aggregator that's utilizing ThorChain to gain access to uh, more assets and more other DEXs to do more things. That doesn't, to me, um, um, mean anything. The only problem comes to be, and I think if we, we can protect the network successfully, against this idea is that we have to um, we whitelist these DEXs against ThorChain um, say that we will support incoming swaps from 
one inch, right, to Gardner uh, a trade somewhere else or something like this. And so the question becomes is like, well, opening us up to one inch to do trades, what is the risk involved with that? And I don't think there's much there, to be honest with you. I sincerely doubt that, you know, one inch is going to, you know, attack ThorChain, especially when we have a partnership with them and then we provide a very important service for them and they they want to have access to Bitcoin on, on one inch because that just makes their decks like a fuck ton better. So I, and all that can be done in a way that, that, that the ThorStack team can audit all of that code and see it before it's changed or be- see it before it's deployed and we can whitelist it. Um, and we get actually audited before we actually expose ourselves to such things. So I'm not, I'm not I actually don't see, I mean, there is a potential risk, I suppose, um, but I, I see that as infinitesimally small. Awesome, man. Hey, thanks for always keeping it real, bro. You're the best. That's it, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Pedro. Thank you, sir. Next up, uh, Tabs. Thank you for coming. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, is my mic working? Yes, sir. All right, great. Um, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've been. Uh, I went back and listened to all of the uh, recordings on YouTube. So whoever did the postings, thank you for posting. I've learned so much, and it's very exciting. Um, and so uh, I'm. The next thing I'm excited about for Thorchain is the Rune uh, Dash pair. And so I'm very excited about that because I've been using Dash for a while. Um, and last year they released a uh, Dash Direct feature where um, I've used it a couple times now. I've gone to my local merchants like a Lowe's, bought products with Dash. And I just like it's an all non-custodial, all non-KYC. And so I just think it's fascinating that that can happen. And see, I started uh uh, stacking sats, I guess, with BTC. And so now that I have BTC, I'm trying to figure out how do I spend it. Um, and this is so far the best way to spend it for me is to turn the BTC into Dash. And unfortunately, I'm using centralized exchanges where they do KYC. And so with ThorChain bringing Dash, I won't have to worry about the KYC part anymore. So very excited about that. Um, thank you for everything you're doing. Yeah, uh, I heard about this dash direct stuff it, it sounds uh when i first heard it it sounded like it wasn't it couldn't be true without being some sort of legal issue Trans- transacting in fiat currency without kyc to me sounds like it's not legally possible but i remember the the guys behind it they tweeted at me and said some things and i honestly haven't dived into the depth to actually validate that that stuff for myself but if it, assuming that it is true and it is legit and it's not and it is legal and all these kind of things, that's a really fascinating idea. And you're right. Once when, uh, Dash gets integrated with uh, Thorchain, you'd be able to, to trade your Bitcoin or any asset. Your you can even do your um, USDT or C or whatever it is, um, which is pretty interesting for sure. Yeah, and and certainly the thing that I think Dash solved is they they're trying to be digital cash, so it's it's really fast, it's instant basically, and by instant I mean like under two seconds, which is what is needed. Like I'm standing at the Lowe's checkout uh, kiosk, and basically I say pay with gift card is how Dash Direct works. Is it uses the gift card path, um, and so at the cash register I say pay with. Um, uh, gift card. And then it tells me, uh, it asked me for a gift card code. And so that's when I pull up the Dash Direct app. And I basically punch in the total. And then once I have the total, I then go into my uh, Dash app, which is non-custodial. I hold the keys. And then I send Dash 
right into Dash Direct, um, and that's less than two seconds. And then the Dash Direct turns that into a gift card code that I then punch into the kiosk, and then I'm paid at loads, and I go off of my product. So, yeah, it works pretty seamlessly. You know, I, I had to do it a couple times to kind of really be quick at it. The first time it took, you know, it's, it is a few steps. Um, but when, once I got the hang of it, it it's it's awesome. Um, and then the other thing about Dash is it, it does uh, coin joins uh, in the base layer protocol. It's Masternode service uh, provides that. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to pay your barista and then have him know how much money you have, right? Like that would be a, like a limitation for Bitcoin, for example. Um, and so Dash solved that by having on-chain uh, coin joins. So um, it's always good to coin join your hot wallet. And then that way you can go off and spend when you need to without losing your privacy. Hey, Ted, you should get in touch with uh, uh, Chad Thoreau and uh, me, familiar account, not, not ThorChain account. Uh, you should uh, DM one of us. We'll set up a, uh, like a space for, you know, to, to learn more about Dash and things like that. Because we're definitely excited like in the ThorChain community because it's just like, you know, we, we want to learn about this stuff too. So I think that'd be cool to set something like, like that up in the future. Yeah, happy to. And I'm I'm not much of a public person, but I can certainly. Um, there's plenty of Dash people that are, and so I, I I'm happy to recommend some Dash people that I follow that would be happy to speak to you. Awesome, thank you. Sure, thank you, Tebs. Uh, next up, we have uh, Iazemi. Thanks for coming back. Hey guys, I've been like uh, watching Torchain and its development for like a year now, so. It's it's pretty amazing what you guys did. One thing is that uh, the other day when I, I um, I've been off for like a month or so, but before a month I used ThorSwap to do some swapping and to check how the system works and everything. And I saw that there's quite a delay in transaction. And then when I talked and I, I was worried initially, then I head up to the team and I talked to them and then, they told me that there's a limit amount of uh, that uh, you can do it per one transaction. And this was because uh, to increase security due to the past exploits that happened in, in the summer. Uh, my question is like, uh, when do you think that these uh, limitation in transaction are, will be removed or are they already removed or... And also about the efficiency of the of the transaction, of the swaps, and and in in the, this this is what I want to ask. Basically, yeah. So uh, one is you you can make several swaps at once. That's okay. Um, there's no limitation on the number of trades you can do. You can you don't have to limit you to one at a time or anything like this. You can actually do multiple trades if you want to. That's fine. Um, what does happen though is that relative to the amount of trade volume that's happening at that time, the network will naturally and intentionally slow or delay outbound transactions. This is one of the changes that were made post the uh, exploits back in the summer. Um, the reason why that's there is that it gives the community time, specifically the donor operators, to notice there's some sort of large you know, trade happening or a series of funds happening that might look suspicious and that gives them the ability to, to react and um, stop those funds from leaving the network and stop the network from getting exploited. Um, I think as a network, I think we need something like that. It's my two cents. I think we need something like that because 
we're interfacing with all these other chains and we're taking on the risks of those other chains. And so we can't entirely go to a place of instantaneous swaps because it inherently puts us into a, a, a security related um, uh, problem. And it's my view. Now the community can change this right now if they wanted to, they can turn it off today. All it would take is a Nobamir to, to change uh, one or two settings and, and Mamir and, they can just disable that today and everything, all the swaps go out, you know, immediately. Uh, that's up to, the, up to the community to decide. My only, my personal two senses, um, I like the way it's designed now, even though it, you're right, it does kind of inhibit UX to some degree, but I'll, I'll trade that little delay of some transactions and, and particularly, you know, noisy scenarios uh, just to ensure that people's funds are safe. That's a fair trade in my view. Uh, I, I agree, I totally agree, especially in, in these stages that when you connect with other chains, it's it's necessary to do that. But uh, in my view, and also I believe in, in community view also, is that uh, third chain will be one of the biggest uh, liquidity providers or the back end of the most, like one of the biggest in the, in the whole crypto industry. And when you take that into consideration, like, what I believe in five years from now or in two, three years from now, crypto will be like five trillion in market cap, total market cap. And then the amount of transaction and the amount of swaps, I think, will increase. And also with uh, new interfaces such as DeFi, DeFi Spot Wallet and the other exchanges that they may use, ThorChain. Do, do, my main concern is that does the community, because I agree it's a very good, um, I would also do this in uh, lose two, two, some seconds and increase and know that it's safe, but in the future, I think it 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 the delay time will increase because the the transaction volume will increase also. So, is there any discussion within the community to kind of uh, change this and adjust this as lo- uh, uh, Yeah. So the, the there's a couple of things to think about here. One is that the 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 delay will not increase with trade volume. It only it maxim the max a trade can be uh, delayed is one hour. And I don't care if we're getting a billion dollars in traffic, you know, next year or whatever. Hypothetically, um, it would stay the same because I don't. I don't think the network needs more than an hour to re, to to respond to some sort of, uh, you know, suspicious activity or or what have you. And so it'll always be. I think, at least in my opinion, it'll always be probably no longer than an hour, even in, in high volume trades. The other thing is that the network can uh, determine to how how sensitive do we want the network to be to like how. How uh, how much volume is needed to, to slow it to to thirty minutes or to forty minutes or to sixty minutes, and so that those those are just configurations of a network that 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 Mimir can uh, can kind of change depending upon things. So if things begin become more uh, more trade volume starts to happen every day, where you were doing like thirty times the trade volume we're doing today, for example, then we can just change those little kind of those settings and those configs and just say, okay, we're going to make it less sensitive. You know, and that's just a trade-off that the network can, the the, the validators of the network can kind of discuss and, and and understand the implications of these changes, and then, you know, advocate for a position. 
Okay. One last thing is that um, from I, I was thinking the other day about this, and is there any possible way for because I think the the networks understand the the amount of swap and the amount of value that is doing. So I was thinking for low transaction swaps uh, to do them instantly, as long as they don't uh, like they don't come in in a loop that they happen a hundred times for a hundred dollars, for example, or a, a thousand times for a hundred dollars because there might be exploits. But for example, if I want to swap only a hundred dollars, that doesn't have to be delayed or something because it's only one hundred dollars. And you can yeah, that's, 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 exact, that's exactly how it works today. That's exactly how it works today. So if there's only a hundred dollars being traded on the system, that just you're, you're the one doing the swap, then it, the trade will go through instantly, right? The, the swap will come up, the outbound will happen now. But if you're doing $100 and Familiar Cow is doing $100 and Chad the Rose is doing $100 and so forth and so on, then that changes the dynamics. Because I don't actually know from a network perspective whether or not you, Chad the Rose, or Familiar Cow are actually three different people. All I know is that it's coming from three different wallets, which is not necessarily three different people. And so uh, you, what you're describing is exactly how the network works. I think what happened probably is that at the time that you were doing your trade at whatever time that was, the network happened to be having a large volume of either trades or withdrawals. And then you just kind of, you kind of had like this bad timing in a sense. Yes. Yes. That, that, that was the reason when I talked to the, to the community in Discord, they told me that the network is having some huge demands and that's, that's basically the main reason for swaps. But yeah, I mean, I that's since I joined in this weekly live. Thank you guys for everything you're you're doing. This community communication is is amazing and just best yeah, of luck you. in the future. Thank you. I uh, I saw a related question to this. Um, I forget who asked it. I can't seem to find it on the space tweet. But um, somebody was asking about if any of the throttling would apply to synths. So I'm curious how that might play in or if, if anything applies or not. Yeah, good question. So the throttling only applies to non-native assets. And the reason why that is is because if you have an exploit in Ethereum, let's just say, and you're able to convince the network and, and you know swap a bunch of you know a fake F into Rune, for example, that's actually in some sense okay in the, in the sense that the value that has been stolen is still in the network. It's still on chain. And so the network, you know, the validators of the network can kind of come together and say, all right, they swap it into this Thor address. We're just going to go ahead and take that Thor, the room from that Thor address back out of that wallet and put it back into the pool again. And then everything's fine in the world, right? So when it comes to things that are, that are, are on chain, because the, the value doesn't leave the network, we don't need a delay because the, because the community can just come together and say, this person, you know, did an exploit and they minted a bunch of synthetics. So we're just going to take the synthetics from their Thor wallet and then, you know, put it back into the pool or whatever the hell it is to make everybody right, you know, to make everything, uh, you know, correct in a sense. It's only becomes problematic when, when you, the value exits the network in the form of Bitcoin or Ethereum or Luna or whatever. And that's why you need the F-bounds for the, for the external assets, but not the internal ones. So in the synth example, it would basically be on the redemption. Like it would be if you're redeeming, it, it, like you could swap like a billion dollars of synthetic ETH to a billion dollars of synthetic Bitcoin. But then if you were uh, converting that back to real Bitcoin in your own address, is, is that where it would take place? That's where the delay would actually take place. But as long as you're trading synth to synth or synth to rune or something like this, that there's no delay. And you know, and that and the volume of that trade does not does not 
add to the delay of the, the layer one trades that people are, are doing in that moment. That's only taken into account the layer one uh, trades of the, the rune value of the layer one trades that are currently happening outside of the leaving the network. And so that's part of the reason why um, arbitragers will, will like this feature of synthetics is because they can, they can arbitrage so much faster, so much cheaper. They don't have to worry about their trade taking an extra hour for it to, you know, hit their, hit their, or their Bitcoin wallet or their Ethereum wallet. Give the last question up here. Arno, thanks for waiting. Welcome back. Hi, thank you for having me up and allowing me to ask a question. Um, and thanks for hosting this. It's awesome. My question, uh, I kind of want to bring back to uh, LPing and ThorSave and a little bit about centralized exchanges. So right now I love Thor's, uh, ThorChain because of obviously the swapping and the liquidity providing. Um, and I'm looking forward to ThorSave, but I, I would like to. I would like more clarity on what happens uh, with ThorSave. Now, for instance, right now on centralized exchanges, uh, I'm weary of participating in their um, staking, um, I guess, programs because oftentimes, you know, uh, our assets end up in their big bag where they, you know, loan out, and sometimes to um, entities that use those assets, our assets, to short our uh, positions in a way. So my question is with uh, ThorSave, I know it will be provided as um, collaterals for loans, um, but are those loans going to become like basically another tool for where uh, a big entities can come, borrow our, our, our um, assets, and then use them to undermine uh, you know, the, the, the cryptos we love, for instance. Yeah. Um, so it hasn't really been quite determined yet um, how that will work. Um, one of the ideas, there's two approaches that's currently being considered and thought through, and this is, it needs to be more time to, to do some research and such. But uh, one of the ideas is that when you put in your collateral into a loan and then you get your, your, your debt asset, that that could either come from, Thor savings and then, you know, lend out the debt asset. Um, or it could come from the reserve where we swap the rune in the reserve for the, the debt that you're taking and then send that out. Right. So that so the Thor savings doesn't, it's not being borrowed against Thor savings. It's being borrowed against the reserve instead with the reserve is, you know, it's worth like, I don't know how much money right now. It's probably like over a billion dollars or something, something crazy. And so it, it can take that stuff all day in a sense. Right. Um, but it, it hasn't really been determined yet, and and, and the different there's different pros and cons to both of those approaches, and so the community will you know that's another thing the community will have to discuss and debate and, and think about and reason about to, to figure what actually makes the most sense. But even in the even in the model that we've discussed about lending out from um, from Thor, from Thor savings, the way the the economics works is that it always it'll make it always so, so that you know approximately twenty or thirty or forty percent of the Thor savings will stay in like on hand and not lent, lent out. So that gives you that kind of, that kind of 30% buffer to always have uh, something on hand to, to withdraw that when somebody wants to withdraw. And we've even talked about some notions of that. Like when you uh, deposit into Thor savings that it gets locked in the network for like a hundred days, like you're, you're kind of agreeing to be, all right, I'm going to take a position on here. And we don't want, we don't want, you know, yield farmers to be using Thor savings. We want people to, who, who jump in and stay in 
for months, if not years. That's the, that's a better scenario for the network in order to 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 uh, to foster a more economically solvent system. And so, what the network might do is say, you put in your Thor savings, you're locked up for a hundred days. You can't pull, extract your your Thor savings for one hundred days, which if you're doing this anyway, that that's probably you know more than fine. Um, and then after the hundred days. Um, you know, if you want to take what you've earned and then restake it back in, right, to kind of compound your interest in a sense, then you basically reset that clock again to 100 days again, right? And so the end of the result is that, you know, 98% or 97% of the, of the assets in Thor Savings are locked up and they're not withdrawable, right? And that makes the idea of having, you know, a bank run of some kind, you know, not possible. It actually... You could possibly have a bank crawl over the time span of 100 days, which if that's the case, then that's, that's a, a much easier situation for the network to deal with because we have time to actually consider and think through and, and come up with a solution to whatever issue that might be you know, having um, in order to, to ensure that the safety of all, all the economics of the system. Does that make sense? I hope that answers your question. That's really well thought out, and I like uh, the sound of it. Um, I was more so thinking, for right now, when I liquidity provide, um, I feel good because I know my assets are being used to swap um, and not being loaned out by I don't know who. Uh, with the Thor saving program, um, my question is more so, would we be, is there the possibility of us, like, let's say, allowing, like, offering these assets to, like, market players who can undermine uh, our assets uh, for instance like do we will they can anyone just come in and borrow the funds and then bring them back i guess uh anybody come in and borrow the funds and then bring them back that let me you're, you're saying like open up a, a loan position and then repay the loan instantly is that what you mean I'm sorry, maybe I'm not uh, explaining myself too well. Um, basically, I'm trying to figure out if if we participate in Thor Save, would our funds be available for, let's say, uh, a hedge fund manager to borrow our funds, short, let's say, our asset, um, and then you know repay it later date, but like cause a bunch of havoc uh, with oh, our okay. assets. Yeah, that that all depends upon where the 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 debt asset comes from. When you, take, when you provide collateral and then you get some sort of debt asset, the collateral stays in the pool to, to generate the yield so that the network can benefit and profit and prosper and all these things. But the debt that they're taking out has to come from somewhere. And the question is, where does that come from? And if it comes from your savings, then your situation that you're talking about, maybe that's possible, right? Maybe the situation is possible. In the scenario where it's uh, coming from the, the reserve, then it's not your store savings is not being utilized in that context. It's not being, you know, uh, borrowed upon, right? Or even another situation which you probably wouldn't do, but it's possible is is you know just mint the you know uh, rune from from basically nothingness, inflate the supply, and then give the person the loan, the lend, the borrower borrower that rune, and then swap that into you know some some asset they want, you know, Bitcoin or whatever. Um, and so there, you're now instead of borrowing it from the reserve, you're borrowing it from every rune holder. Everybody gets inflated, and the value of the rune kind of gets redistributed towards this one individual who's taking this loan. And so that's you know you make 
there's obvious reasons why I wouldn't want to do something like that because I wouldn't want to, you know, punish every rune holder for for taking on a loan. So because someone got taken on a loan, it makes more sense to use a reserve for this purpose. But as it, it all depends upon where the debt comes from. To answer your your question more directly, yes, yes, which that hasn't been so determined much. yet, and that, that's something that people can talk about and discuss and debate and all that stuff. Got it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Awesome. And uh, so everyone knows, uh, we do this every single week. The uh, the Thorchain Weekly Live Update. We try and get either uh, Chad on here or uh, another core dev from the Nine Realms team. So uh, you know. The, the team is very open and transparent. Uh, Chad, Chad Thoreau and I just host this show, but um, you know they, they, we have some amazing team members on here that you can see. Are, 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 they, they've really thought about uh, all this stuff a lot and uh, uh, are welcoming everyone's questions. And uh, I just appreciate how transparent everyone is here because uh, it's a great community to be a part of. Yeah, thank you. So uh, there's a couple things hot off the press here. While while this is all ongoing, I've been seeing a couple things. Um, first off, the uh, the Thor games for synths have been extended uh, an additional week, as per uh, Orion. So there's going to be another additional week of uh, of wargaming synths, which is available to anyone who wants to participate. And there are rune bounties available for those who are able to find and disclose. Uh, bugs or attack vectors on on synthetics and this is all happening on StageNet. so um yeah in, info uh, i believe is in the dev discord so that, uh, yeah so that, that's that's one thing I, I was just seeing um also uh, the uh, DeFi spot people just uh, low-key posted that uh they would be allowing uh withdrawals and deposits up to $5,000, no KYC on their platform, which is extremely interesting. And I want to learn, uh, learn more about that. So is there any, is there any um, ecosystem projects I'd like to come up? I, I see ThorSwap is here. I don't know if anyone, uh, a, anyone's welcome from the ecosystem to come and share updates from uh, whatever they're working on. So by all means. Uh, one thing uh, that um, I just got from uh, Gavin, uh, I'm going to post this tweet, I think it is, into the uh, or pin it, whatever you call it, was the, the correct term here. Uh, if you're a Terra developer interested in connecting with the Thorchain team and uh, DM Nine Realms team uh, to ping uh, one of, or ping us on Discord, uh, we're, we're cooking up something interesting. So if you're if you're a Cosmosm person, it sounds like I think I know what they're, what they're talking about here, but I'm not understand percent sure but if you're a cosmosm developer you're in, you're interested in helping out the thor team a thor team team to do some uh interesting things are probably around declaration but i'm not sure um reach out to, to the nine realms team and, and and uh see if you can help yeah and and uh i know chad you're always like the team is always looking for connections with with people at uh and all these different ecosystems so um like i if you know people in these ecosystems that might be interested in uh, integrating Thorchain, like some kind of aggregator or just like, uh, you know, people that are good to know, then uh, like chat, is there specific people or projects that you're uh, interested in uh, finding people at? Yeah. I mean, if, if you know somebody that works a part of a team that is building a, a wallet or building a DEX or anything like this, um, reach out to me. Uh, you can DM me, you can DM uh, Thorchain probably, or even Nine Realms. 
because um, we were interested in talking to every wallet manufacturer and every Dex out there, and getting them all kind of like interconnected with within this new kind of um, you know permissionless system of going moving across chain. So that's, that's a really big thing, and it's beneficial for them uh, just as much as, as it's beneficial to us as a project. So if anybody knows anybody at or at one inch or you know Exodus or you know let I don't know Ledger like uh, everything anything it, it, just let us know we'll be happy to to connect and, and uh, we'll probably even give you like a bounty for for helping us make this connection. Great, yeah. The more more integrations for for Thorchain, the better for sure. And uh, I just feel like it's so unknown in this space right now that. Uh, you know, things are just really starting for us. So that's really exciting. Um, and then also there's obviously a, uh, a meetup at East Denver this weekend. On uh, So um, there's an RSVP link with uh, the ThorChain meetup details that's posted in the ThorChain uh, developer discord. I believe there's a couple extra slots for people that are going. Yeah, even if there's not slots, people just go anyway. We'll, we'll try to make space for you. <laughs> I think we're actually already sold out, if I'm not mistaken, which is great because, you know, that, that shows a strong community around this project, which is, but uh, if you, if you want to, we'll try to, to accompany, uh, or, uh, you know, as, or uh, um, allow as many people as the venue will allow us to have to get as many people into this thing to kind of talk for chain or just hang out and, and drink a few beers and, and uh, hit a few ping pong balls. <laughs> Yeah, and if you know Vitalik, uh, bring Vitalik as your plus one to you know, the uh, the chain. If anybody <laughs> yeah. knows Vitalik, have him come down. I guess I'll let him in. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, and uh, also just just to announce, uh, whoever we're going to be giving uh, like uh, me, sorry, me personally, like Familiar Cow and Veneer Threads are giving away a uh, a free pair of Thor Force One to some random Thorchain community member that's there. So uh, if you're there, you have a chance to win a, a free Thorforce One NFT redeemable for like the real thing, the, the real shoe. So just for for all the Thorchads out there. So anything else, guys? Uh, I think that's it for me. Um, I'll see you all next Friday. All right. Yeah, sounds sounds good. I think this was a good one. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Uh, they're also recorded. If, if people hopped in at the end, you can check out the recordings just on the same space or on RuneBase. All right. Catch you guys later. Peace. Cool. Later.